I'm Drew Cat, Ed Choice's Director of State Research and Special Projects. I'm back today for another Ed Choice chat, speaking with Paul DePerna, Ed Choice's Vice President of Research and Innovation, and Leslie Heiner, Ed Choice's Vice President of Legal Affairs. We're here today to share our varied experiences at last month's International School Choice and Reform Conference in Lisbon, Portugal. So thanks for joining me today, Paul and Leslie. It's great to be here with you guys. Yeah, we just had a, a wonderful experience with an international school choice conference that was for us and for this conference the very first time in an international, outside of the U.S., international setting. It was in Lisbon, Portugal. So this was a first experience for us taking the conference on the road. We weren't quite sure what to expect. But I think we'll all agree that our expectations were exceeded beyond our wildest dreams. It was so productive, and it was just really highly productive, and we made some great relationships. I mean, don't you think, Paul, that yeah. this was just perhaps the best one of these conferences ever? I think so. I mean, so this was the seventh International School Choice and Reform Conference, and this is the first time it was outside of the United States. And I think one of the biggest benefits or values to attendees and to presenters, discussants is the networking and the relationship building. We get to see people we, you know, maybe get to run into just a few times during the course of the year. And at this conference in particular, because there were a substantial number of professors and researchers from Europe and other countries, there was a lot of opportunity to meet new people and to learn about school choice research in other countries and so forth. Yeah, and I definitely enjoyed being able to have a couple sit-down face-to-face meetings with some external authors that I'm collaborating on two separate projects with. So because we are each on different sides of the country, it's usually difficult to have those face-to-face interactions outside of these conference settings. So I was definitely glad to be able to do that. And Again, meet new researchers, start to have the conversations about future collaborations and future projects and um, kind of giving advice to each other on where projects currently stand. I was asked by someone who would go to this conference. Why would someone want to go and, and who shows up? I hadn't really thought about that, to be honest with you. But in considering that question, I realized that the scholars who attended this conference these are all the top scholars in the field of education and all together in one place. That alone was just a great benefit from Rick Hanushek from Hoover, Stanford, Paul Peterson from Harvard, of course, with a, a good showing from our friends in Arkansas, Patrick Wolf, Bob Moranto, and, and others. It was just really great that they were all in the room together, along with Charles Glenn as well. But in addition, though, the the researchers and scholars in education who came from other countries, from South Africa, from India, from a number of different places across the globe, they were also tops in their fields in their countries, and many from the European theater. And to get that group of individuals together in one room to discuss education, to compare what has been working, what's not working, what's the most innovative ideas, and 
to your point, Paul, and what can we do to work together and combine some of the better ideas that, that people have from around the world. That opportunity was just something that I, I'm privileged to have been a part of it. I feel very privileged to have been a part of that. And what I learned from those individuals um, is just invaluable and yeah. will, will really help me in the work I'm doing going forward. I feel the same way. Something that struck me this year at the conference was this, the diversity of mm-hmm. backgrounds and where yeah. people were coming from in different professional fields. And so the majority of the attendees and the speakers that were there were researchers and folks who work on public policy. But then there were also people who are at school associations, other types of NGOs. And I think that just brings a different point of view. And for the discussions around the presentations, I mean, I think that just added a lot more flavor and some additional insights that you than you would get at a typical research conference. And one other thing I would just point out, along with the diversity, is just that it really is an intimate atmosphere there because it is fairly small compared to other conferences like AERA or AEFP. Those are much bigger conferences. This one, I think the attendance was about a little over 100. And so there's just a lot of interaction and repeated interactions uh, throughout the course of the day at the sessions. But then also uh, there's a lot of uh, built-in social kind of meet and greets throughout the day during breaks and then also dinners that occurred and the reception the first night. So I really enjoyed that way of getting to meet some new people and kind of rekindling some of the friendships and acquaintances that I met in the past. From my perspective also, having just this past year launched the EdChoice Legal Defense and Education Center I was particularly interested in lawyers who were at the conference, and in fact, we partnered with the European Lawyers Association, which was just tremendous. Jan de Groff was there, and we were able to engage in a conversation about the court systems in different countries and how the courts have viewed school choice. We find that across the world, school choice is more a normal thing that's been around for a long time. Here in the U.S., we're still continuing to build school choice, and yet the litigation that has occurred both here for us and in programs that are just fledgling versus litigation overseas over particular issues in education where school choice has been around for a long time, we found some real value in comparing the views of the courts and how the courts have approached various education legal issues. It was very helpful, actually, to learn a different perspective, different point of view from different lawyers and from different courts. And in fact, this was really a high point for me. We were able to get a tour of their um, appellate court in Portugal, and the man who is the, the equivalent of the chief justice of the Supreme Court was our host, He was our tour guide through the courts. Very gracious, very warm and open, answered all of our questions, stayed around to answer all our questions. So the last one of us finally had to leave. (laughs) But to be honest, I I didn't want to leave. I could have stayed there a whole other day just, just talking to them and learning about their system. And again, learning pieces about 
their views, their legal views on school choice that that are very constructive and that will be helpful in informing us going forward. And he even shared some of his port with us. Yes, he did. And so that was, uh, that, was, that was a really nice tour, too. I was able to be there at least for the first part of it. And it was a very historic building because Lisbon, hundreds of years ago, had a really severe earthquake, if I recall, right. from the and then 1700s. Tsunami. And this building was able to withstand the shocks of that earthquake, at least, at least if I remember correctly, the walls. Of the, the walls, building. right. And then they were able to replace the ceilings. But it was just a really impressive, neat, older building and, and a beautiful view, too, of the ocean. That was a nice kind of social get-together with a lot of the conference attendees and to talk to one another outside of the sessions. Yeah, it was. We, we noticed, and you, you can't help but notice in Lisbon, first, it's a beautiful city. Uh, but also, it's a very old city, and yet everything is really beautifully preserved. The respect that they have for their own history, their own culture, their own architecture, and, and how important that is to the vitality of the city is pretty impressive. I, I, I can't say, uh, say that I've seen another place uh, quite like that. that. That level of respect was... Uh, well, it was great to see that. Hey, Drew, what was your experience, both at the conference? I mean, because you've been going to this conference now for quite a while, and both at the conference and also just you know, around you know, being in Lisbon and around the area. Yeah, so I think to kind of continue on what Leslie was saying, I, I feel like I started my trip out right um, by the first day being there, going and walking up five flights of steps of a 500-year-old spot bellum tower, which was fantastic, and uh, taking in some of the local food, eating some of the pastel de nada, which was these amazing little egg tarts that I definitely want to recreate at some point, and <laughs> not to mention the port and the, the vino verde, which I didn't even know that green wine was a thing, and I fell in love. But realistically... Um, the strong points for me were the amazing level of feedback that I got on both my presentation and a project that a co-author and I are working on that she presented. The level of feedback that I get at this conference is unparalleled at any of those larger conferences that you mentioned, Paul, or honestly, any conference that I've ever been to. Again, the, the setting was fantastic. I didn't know if we would really be able to top the time in Hawaii a couple of years ago. But just the ballroom that I presented in was and probably will be the most amazing room I will ever actually speak in and have people listen to me and not just stare around the room. So, hey, Drew, just for those who are joining with us, could you just briefly describe a little bit your presentation and, and, and even one or two other talks that really stood out to you is particularly interesting, insightful, new, and fresh? Yeah, so the presentation that I gave was in the Vouchers in North Carolina and Indiana session. Uh, and of course, being the Indiana native, I've been doing a fair amount of Indiana work. Um, so I presented Indiana's schooling deserts, Hoosier communities lacking highly rated or multi-sector educational options, um, which you know very well, Paul, that 
That is something that I spent a lot of time on in 2018, and we released um, late last summer, early fall, uh, with my co-author Mike Shaw. And we got a lot of good feedback from the conference on um, new new ways to go with the research from there. Um, then, yeah, great great presentation by Dr. Anna Galate on um, some of the competitive effects work that we're doing together on the Indiana Voucher Program. I won't. Won't go into too much on that since we're still uh, working on the analysis. But right. yeah, even the session that I chaired that morning um, was on charter schools, which is something that I have a lot of interest in, um, but don't actually uh, conduct a lot of research in myself. So just hearing from uh, four different researchers from all corners of the U.S. on different things along the lines of charter schools, such as who can access them, um, looking at leaders' experiences, and even um, charter schools um, that are enrolling underrepresented minority and low-income students. It was just it was very nice to learn more about a um, area of education policy that I don't really live as much of my life in. Yeah, it was very interesting to me. I mean, like you said, you were learning information about other policy areas and what I found to be really interesting in interacting with some of the scholars from other countries said it occurred to me that even if you live in a state or in a country where educational freedom is very vibrant, nonetheless, people who are scholars and who are really concerned about educational freedom will constantly, on an ongoing basis, be thinking about new ways to innovate in education. We're thinking about that at all times, and and it's not unique to us here. That's very much the case, even in, in countries where their educational systems have been well settled and they're doing great and have been for many years. They're still constantly looking toward how can we do better? How can we serve students better? And And that interaction sometimes was really surprising after I gave my presentation where I spoke to the litigation on school choice in the United States, there was a lovely scholar from Italy who approached me, who, who had listened and approached me and uh, asked me to send, send him my PowerPoint and whatever other writings I had on litigation in the U.S. because he found it to be something extremely helpful and that he would be able to use in Italy. That was so exciting. <laughs> I, and I guarantee you that's not something that I anticipated um, at all. But, but that really goes to the nature, I think, of, of the people who were there. You know, we're, all, we're all just trying to do better for kids all the time. You know, and I really, not having any legal background or um, I, I learned from you, Leslie, and <laughs> and uh, and something I just appreciated about how school choice really is a salient issue and 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 really a hot hot button issue, not just here in the United States but in other countries. Whenever we landed in Lisbon and uh, on the on the flight over, there were about seven of us that were attending the conference. That we all just happened to be on the same flight from Newark uh, to to Lisbon. And as we were walking off the plane, and I, I was with, I was next to Michael Donnelly with the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And as we were turning on our phones, 
his was blowing up. And apparently there had been a case that he had been working on for, I think he said, seven years about uh, as a homeschooling case uh, that had gone, I believe, all the way up to the equivalent of the Supreme Court in the EU. And I guess it was a German family who was homeschooling one or more of their children. I don't know. I, to be honest, don't remember the specifics of the case, but besides there was a homeschooling case and the state tried to intervene and say that they we you know, were breaking the law essentially by homeschooling their children. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the mm-hmm. uh, the decision was a ruling against the family and, and in favor of the state or the EU, I guess. And so that really struck me and it was it was an interesting way to just kind of kick off like landing there in Portugal, but it really just drove home and yeah, just how there are these issues legal or otherwise around school choice and and the freedom to choose one's education outside of the United States. And so that just really drove it home for me right away. There's a lot that we can that we can learn from from each other. Just uh, just a couple examples. Uh, there's a woman from the Netherlands that I spoke with, and she was really surprised that we don't have educational freedom and universal vouchers in every state all across the country. She she just couldn't understand why that wasn't the case in in a country that holds itself out as being the freest country in the world. Why is our education not also the freest education system in the world? And so I started to point to a, a couple obstacles that we face, and one of the obstacles was, um, of course, the teachers' unions that, that block innovation at, at every turn. And she was shocked by that. She she was uh, to the point of being angry. She couldn't believe that we would allow any union or association of any kind to take over control of education like that and out of the hands of parents. She just, she could hardly believe that was true. We got into a very vigorous discussion about that. And and so her viewpoint was, well, it was instructive to me, and she had some good pointers uh, for me. And then I also discovered that at the United Nations now, for some many years, they've been developing the issue of the right to education. Now, in the U.S., our U.S. Supreme Court ruled some years ago, there is no such right to education in the U.S. Constitution, but there are some state constitutions that that may have a version of that. Most do not, but they have some maybe complementary language, but not exactly a uh, education as a human right type language. And yet the the great controversy that our friends in in Europe in particular and some countries in, in other continents are facing is that the definition of a right to education is starting to fall off a cliff as people who come from a more communist and hard, hard socialist background are driving it in a very, very different direction. And they need our help. And that's something that I looked at and said, how can that happen? How how can the right, a human right of education, not be based in true freedom? Just doesn't make any sense that it wouldn't be. So they, they've asked for us to, to help because 
just as the woman for the Netherlands brought a new perspective to the work that we have as we're dealing with the teachers' unions, I was able to bring a new perspective from a freedom perspective to our friends who have been really struggling to get this right to education figured out at the international level. Again, it it was just a valuable conference in many ways. And uh, for anyone who's listening who is a scholar researcher, uh, we will continue to do this conference each year. Next year, it will be in Florida. The year after that, not sure, but uh, I think we're going to have to go somewhere outside of the U.S. for for the conference after Florida. Maybe on the on the other side of the globe in uh, Australia or New Zealand. Oh, that'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a, I can do just that. Just to go in that'd a different be, direction. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. <laughs> Because the eight-hour flights weren't long enough, Paul. No, that's right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Of the three of us, I think I was the biggest wimp. Where I like, I, I lasted about three or four hours after getting there, and then, and then just wiped <laughs> out. So yeah, I'm the last one to talk about. <laughs> it's a little tricky, right? Uh, well, in uh, in wrapping this up, though, we'd be remiss uh, if we would fail to mention the fact that Bob Fox and Nina Fox from Hawaii, they've been chairing just a uh, a group of people who have found this to be something of value right from the very beginning. Uh, they've done just a great job in pulling people together, and I think we've all felt like we've had a great voice in building the conference up to to what it is today, which is, as you have heard from us, something that's really quite outstanding, and we we look forward to continuing this conference. Yeah. Speaking of outstanding, I think we would also be remiss not to mention the outstanding work of uh, Friedman Fellow Ben Scafferty, who yes. did Yeoman's work on putting the program together, and that of uh, Carrie Hunter, who ensured that everything went off without a hitch. Yeah, the planning committee, Carrie and her team, Ben and the planning committee, Bob, Nina, Patrick Wolf, and and their leadership, and and also Rodrigo, mm-hmm. Melo, Rodrigo from Portugal, from Portugal, he was favorite guy. They he were was so welcoming. Yep, he and his organization were amazing for the kind of hospitality and the hosting that they were able to provide for this year's conference, and uh, and so hopefully next year we'll get to see you know more more people and and. Maybe even more graduate students too. I mean, there were there were more graduate students right. there, I think, this year than in years past. But I think that that's definitely a positive trend for this conference to really be a great place for younger researchers and scholars to to showcase their work and and to get feedback if they're thinking about submitting to a journal or you know looking to maybe other conferences. I mean, this is this is a really good place to Drew. You mentioned to get that kind of constructive feedback and sometimes hard-hitting feedback but like but that's a good thing that's right so we look forward to the next conference and in 2020 that's right so we uh we thank you all for listening and stay tuned for perhaps some international updates as we go forward yep it's great talking with both of you likewise well that wraps up this edition of ed choice chats Tell us what you think on social media by tagging us. We are at EdChoice. 
Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher so you never miss another episode. Until next time, take care.